Welcome to the official podcast of the Mount Rubido Seventh-day Adventist Church. Thank you for joining us on our series, Inside Out. Our speaker for today is Andrea Trusty King. She brings us a message about fear. begin a new series today, Inside Out, and today we're talking about fear, and it's going to continue, and so even though I can't make it for the rest of them, most of you all can. I said most because a couple of members snuck over here from 16th Street. Y'all can't make it either. <laughs> But we praise the Lord for this opportunity. If you all would pray with me, our gracious Heavenly Father, God, we bless you in this place. We feel your presence in this place, and we thank you, O oh God, for ushering us into your presence. God, we give you glory and we give you honor, O oh God, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. God, we pray that you would give us a heart to follow, oh God. And in the name of Jesus, quiet all our fears. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I grew up in the city of Cleveland. And in Cleveland, it snowed a lot. There were uh, a lot of ice storms, ice on the road. Uh, I remember going to school. Like, we had school when the snow was waist high. I remember those kinds of things. And so one day, my dad decided to take a bunch of us tobogganing. For those of you who aren't familiar with tobogganing, it's a very long sled that about four people can get on. And um, there was this a track. And so you would walk up all of these steps. You paid your money. It was almost like a little ticket. And everybody would get in the toboggan. You would go down this ice-filled chute and it would uh, take you down. It was almost like an ice roller coaster. And so as I am, uh, we're walking up, my dad is uh, cumbering under the weight of this big toboggan. We get up there and I just couldn't do it. And so I'm holding up the line and they're like, come on, come on. I am the oldest one there, mind you. My little sister jumps in with no problem. My little cousins jump in and they're like, come on, come on. But see, as we were walking up, I was hearing all these screams. I was looking at ice. I knew that ice had the power to wrap people around trees. It did not work well for people. And it seemed like all of these things had uh, collided right here at this toboggan rink. And I wanted no part of it. And so I stood up there and, and I tried, I just couldn't, I, I, I could not. And so they went down and daddy drug the thing back up again, up all the steps. And, and this was going to be the time that I was going to do it. And I, I went, but I still couldn't. And so that went for about four times and, and daddy's muscles were over. He was like, look, this is the last time we are about to go to the car and so he's like, if you want to try this today, and you know, they already paid the non-refundable ticket, and I'm sure that's what he was most upset about. 
So he's like, you got to try this. So I, everything in me, I get in, I am afraid and I sit on the thing and I'm praying that I don't get wrapped around the tree. I could hear the other toboggans scraping on the ice. I could hear the metal and the wood. I could hear the other kids screaming, but I said, despite all of that, I'm going to get in this thing. I went down. I was like, oh, that was fun. Let's do it again. And my dad said, take your butt to the car. (laughs) Let that be a good lesson to you. And so what was happening? What was happening with me? That fear thing kicked in. Do you all know, I know we have a verse that says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen. But God did give us an amygdala, which is the seat of fear. So if you were to put your hands on your temples, on both of your temples, in between your two fingers, there would be some amygdala. I've been trying to pronounce that all morning. Amygdala. And so in your uh, brain, uh, scientists actually say that you have two minds. You have a thinking mind and a feeling mind. And so uh, I praise God that he gave us our amygdala, our feeling mind. It is the seat of emotion. It is the emotional part of the brain. And let me tell you about the amygdala. The amygdala has top billing priority. The amygdala can override the thinking part of your brain. Now that's an amazing thing because if you are outside walking and you see a snake coming towards you, that, that, that pathfinder, a snake, um, patch might want to come up and you want to look, ooh, what kind of snake is it? Is it poisonous or non-poisonous? How long is it? Your thinking brain may want to go there, but the amygdala is not having it. The amygdala will snatch you out of there so fast before you can even think about what happened. And praise God, because many of us are here because of the grace of God and the amygdala. And so there are many times where the amygdala helped us out. There's many a time that the uh, amygdala and our fear reflex was a blessing. But sometimes... I think thinking needs to take place. At the risk of you all thinking I had a hard childhood, I really really did turn out okay. I remember one time my mother and I were having a conversation. I was a teenager and she might tell you that I was a little mouthy. And so we're going back and forth during this conversation and... While we were talking, my hand went up. Now see, my mom's amygdala kicked in when her thinking part of the brain really should have thought. 
Because if she had been thinking, she would have known. I didn't raise no fool. I know I did not raise no child that will raise her hand to hit me. If she had been thinking to the last time my hair was washed, she might realize that at that very moment, my head might itch. And all I was trying to do was scratch my itchy, dirty head. But her amygdala caught it just snapped in real quick before she could think, before I could think. And when I woke up, <laughs> I want you to know that her amygdala taught my amygdala, amygdala and my head knows not to itch in an argument with my mama. There are many things that happen where that amygdala kicks in. It's great for emergency situations. But everything is not an emergency situation. The guy you like across the room just caught you staring. You wish you were dead. But it's not really a life or death situation. But that amygdala is like, girl, we got to go. Let's get out of here. When you have more money than month and the bills keep coming and the people want their money and their car back. They keep calling your phone and every time it rings, there's something happening on the inside. You feel it deep down in your gut. Your heart starts beating fast and your amygdala is like, we got to go. Maybe if we go to Mexico, they can't find the car. Though you are afraid, these are not the situations you need to let your amygdala run for you. You can't let fear think for you. Fear operates without thinking. Fear overrides the thinking part of your brain. Before you knew what was happening, you jumped out of the way or you started swinging or you unleashed the mom's seatbelt. Has anybody ever done that? As you putting on them brakes, you, you like forget the real seatbelt. I'm your seatbelt. Without even thinking, we do that. But real talk, if the situation is more than a few seconds, you're going to need your thinking brain back. Because fear will have you believing that everything is an SOS emergency. And so sometimes you will have to ask yourself, but did you die? But did you die? Is it really a Great emergency because your fear is going to want to keep you from moving forward. Your fear is going to want to hijack your life. And if you've ever experienced that, if you ever realize your amygdala is doing too much in your life, then this message is for you. Follow me now to Matthew chapter 14. Now I have to warn you, this is a spooky chapter. The contents of this chapter are enough to make anyone afraid. There's thousands of hungry people 
church has gone way too long and there is no food. Scary things are happening in chapter 14. There's a near riot in chapter 14. There's prison, there's murder, there's a storm, there's a severed head on a platter. I'm telling you, this chapter is no joke. And as if that wasn't enough, there's howling of the wind, there's thunders roaring. And now the disciples are about to wet themselves because after all they have been through, they now think they have just seen a ghost. Go with me, Matthew chapter 14. I'll read in your hearing verse 25 through 29. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Everyone on that boat had amygdala that were firing. They're screaming. They think that they have lived through all of the mess of all the other verses. And now a ghost has come to take them out. The first lesson I want us to learn regarding fear is nothing exempts you from fear. It will continue to show up. No matter how deep you are. And these brothers were deep. They had been with Jesus. They will go on to write books of the Bible. They are connected. They have just done miracles. No matter how deep you are, no matter how many miracles you have done, they were just coming back from successful evangelistic crusades and campaigns. No matter how much time you've spent with Jesus, all day long, they've been with Jesus. But none of these things exempted them from fear. Fear continued to show up. Now, for those of us who thought that if we had just prayed a little bit more, if we had just read our Sabbath school lesson uh, on, you know, preparing for the end times, then maybe we would have less fear in our lives. But you can spend all day with Jesus. You can have successful ministries. You can be ready to write the Bible yourself through the power of the Holy Ghost. And fear will still show up. And so, chill out, you're normal. Everybody experiences fear. The deep saints and the not so deep saints. We all experience fear. And today we are going to learn how to make sure that fear helps us. So lesson two, fear is a signal. Sometimes it signals danger for you. And sometimes it signals danger for the enemy. When the enemy is afraid, he tries to make you afraid. I just said something to you. When the enemy is afraid, he then tries to make you afraid. 
You can tell what the enemy is afraid of by looking at where that spirit of fear keeps popping up. Remember, this was a strange and spooky day. This was a crazy but victorious day. They had been through so much. But when did fear enter the picture? It was when Jesus was coming toward them. When Mark tells this story, he says that Jesus was walking on the water and would have passed them by. Now, real talk, when I first read that, I was like, for real, Jesus, you know, them, your boys, they out there, they going through and you just going to walk by them like that. I thought it was kind of messed up, but I began to study it a little more and I realized that there's a difference between passing and passing by in the Bible. Passing by, that's what God did with Moses. He said, let me hide you in the cleft and I'll let my glory pass by you. Passing by, that's what a God did with Elijah. He said, stand on this mountain and I will pass by you. Scholars call it theophany. It's where God shows up, where you get a new and grand revelation of the great God Almighty. So Jesus, sees them going through and he's like you know what in the midst of their storm I'm about to pass by they're about to get a new revelation they're about to see some of God's glory so Jesus is ready to unleash something amazing for them and the devil got scared and because the devil got scared He tried to make them scared. You will learn what the enemy is scared of happening in your life when you recognize where fear keeps popping up. He knew that in the midst of that storm, if they connected with Jesus, he knew that in the midst of that storm, if Jesus was allowed to pass by, then something miraculous was about to happen. So he had to whip the wind and and he had to make them think they were about to die. He had to make them wet their pants. He had to make them look at God and see a ghost. That's what the devil does. Because the devil knows that on the other side of your fear is your breakthrough. He knows that on the other side of your fear is your miracle. He understands that he does not want you to get to it. Now, if I had treasure and I didn't want you to get to it, then I would have a security force. And no offense to the mothers of the church, but they wouldn't be on it. They would be praying somewhere else, but I would want some swole brothers that was packing a little heat that when you just looked at them, you realize not today. I don't want any part of that on today. I want you to look at it and be scared. Because I don't want you to come in and take the treasure, the thing that I value. Because I know that if you get this, you'll be rich and I won't. 
And that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to put up fear. He tries to put his big old demons. He tries to get them to talk to you and say, you can't have that. You can't do that. Some of us are scared to live and afraid to die. We scared if we get the job and we scared we won't get the job. We don't know whether we're coming or going. We're scared on every hand. And the enemy is doing that because he wants you to walk away from the treasure that God has for you. The enemy is doing that because he wants you to walk away from what God is preparing to upgrade your revelation to. And so even now, think about it. Think about what the enemy is trying to make you afraid of. Where are you finding the resistance? What are the things that make your heart beat fast and you get afraid about? Where it, what is the scary part of your life? There may be a treasure waiting behind that thing. There may be a treasure waiting behind that thing. Fear is almost a telltale sign that the devil is scared and he's trying to make you scared like him. But Peter, my boy Peter, wasn't having it. He was like, not today, devil. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Peter was doing the thing. He said, Lord, if that's you, he didn't ask to walk on water. He said, let me just get to you. And the Bible says that he was coming to Jesus, but he was walking on water too. And so here Peter is out here defying the laws of physics. Here Peter is out here stepping on his storm. Here Peter is out here getting closer and closer to Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Lesson number three, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It is sight. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it is sight. Peter jammed up because he saw. Isn't that what the word says? It said, and Peter saw that the winds were boisterous and the waves were coming up. He saw all that was happening on the outside. And from what he saw, then the doubts began to come in. This is devil 101. 
The enemy, when, when Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, believe him. This is what the enemy tries to do. The Bible tells us Adam and Eve are in the garden there having this wonderful life. And here comes the devil. Did God really say? And then Eve begins looking around. And the Bible says that when she saw that the tree was good for food. Hello, somebody. That's why the Bible doesn't say the just live by faith and the wicked live by doubt. Paul doesn't say walk by faith, not by doubt. He says walk by faith, not by sight. Sight is the opposite of faith. And so many times we are walking and God is calling us and we're seeing things and we want to do things, but we keep seeing things. Wait, what is that over there? And then we begin to see the test results. Then we begin to see how much we really owe. Then we begin to see how our boss is really treating us. Then we begin to see all of these circumstances and our faith goes out the window. The Bible says when Peter began, when he saw the opposite of faith is sight. But it's not just that he saw the waves. It's how he processed the waves. Because I'm sure Jesus saw the waves too. Jesus saw the same waves and was not phased. Jesus saw the same storm and decided he was about to do something special. But when Peter saw the waves, he feared. Jesus knew I have power over the winds and the waves. So Jesus wasn't pressed. Technically, Peter should have known that Jesus had power over the winds and the waves too. But he was too busy looking at everything. When I was growing up, uh, um, I, I would go to church with my grandmama. And one of the things that would get me popped is if I turned around and look, you hear that creaky door open or you hear some steps down that wooden thing and I just want to turn around and look. And she's like, stop looking. That ain't none of your business. You need to be focused up there. Now, I couldn't stand it back then, but that's some good theology right now. Hello, somebody. Maybe all of us need to stop looking and turn around and get our focus up there. Because it's what we see that invites the doubt. That's what makes us afraid. And so all week I've been trying to figure out what exactly was Peter doubting? Was he doubting his ability to walk on the water? Was he doubting Jesus' ability to catch him? I kind of feel like his doubts had less to do with himself because he knew his whole life that he couldn't walk on water. 
And so maybe, I, I, I kind of feel like maybe, just maybe, he was doubting Jesus a little bit. What was the problem then? Was it a power failure? Did he think that Jesus was unable to complete the task? Was it an identity failure? Maybe Jesus wasn't the one he said, if it's you, call me. Maybe he'd get out there and he was like, what if that's the devil calling me and I'm out here? <laughs> was there are some kind of communication failure. Maybe they weren't on the same page as to which task needed to be completed. Or maybe Jesus was unwilling to complete the task. And all of these are things that we are afraid of when we deal with God. Usually we know he can do it. But we don't know if he's willing to do it. And then, you know, sometimes he might catch us. We might catch him on a day that he want to make us holy instead of happy. We might catch him on a day that he want to grow us. And we not feeling it. We not on the same page of what exactly we want to happen in this situation. And so we are afraid. It's like, I know you can, but will you? And that's where a lot of the fear comes up in our lives. Everybody knows that the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to the Lord. But is he trying to liquidate some of that and put it on our account? We know he has healing in his wings. But how long is it going to be in his wings? And when is it going to touch this tumor? And so this are, these are the reasons we begin to fear. And that's why it's good that we dissect our fears. Because if Peter began to look at Jesus' track record, I mean, Jesus didn't let anybody die. I'm saying he could be walking down the street and a funeral could be over there. When I tell you that the person over there will not stay dead if Jesus is on the same street. I'm talking about if traffic was bad, he could miss the funeral. They done buried him already, rolled the stone, put it in the way. I'm telling you the dead just can't stay dead. So see, Peter wasn't thinking about who Jesus was. He would go to, to whole cities and he would heal everybody. Y'all don't hear me. Not just the ones with faith. Come on, saints. Not just the ones who go to church. I'm talking about he healed everybody. He healed the adulterers. He healed the thieves, the murderers, the men who beat their wives, the, the, the children who were lying and carrying on. I mean, he healed everybody. <laughs> so if Peter really began to think about 
who Jesus was. All of those questions he had would no longer be something he would have to worry about. And I dare say that if we would begin to think about and maybe even study about and figure out what it exactly means to be a good, good father. What it exactly means to say, Lord, you are good and your mercy. What is this mercy? This mercy is what allowed David, a, 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 a murderer and adulterer, to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. So I'm not scared. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because he's with me. He's packing his rod and staff. They comfort me. I ain't scared of no haters. I ain't scared of no enemies. He'll set up a spread before me in the presence. I be eating all up in their face. David understood who this God was. And when we begin to understand who he is, the Lord is my helper. What shall mere man do to me? The Lord is my helper. Of whom shall I be afraid? A thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, yet it will not come near my dwelling. When we know who he is, I know time is up, so I'm a, y'all should know better than to say stuff like that to a preacher. So this is the thing. The near conclusion of the matter is this. Fear is going to follow you. Be scared, but do it anyway. I don't think there was ever a time in this whole situation that Peter wasn't scared. Peter was scared in the boat. Peter was scared out the boat. Peter was scared when he wasn't walking on water. Peter was scared when he was walking on water. Now, listen, and you know, a confession, because I have literally said in my fear sermons, that fear and faith cannot occupy the same space. And so, um, technically that's true. But we have more space than we realize. And so just because fear is there doesn't mean faith can't be. And I know it's different from what you heard. It's different from what I said. But real talk, Peter was scared. I mean, but at least Jesus came to him after and was like, you have little faith. He said he had a little faith. He had water walking faith. He might not have had enough to move the mountain, but he was able to move the molecules and keep floating. And he was scared the whole time. I'm pretty sure of it. But watch this. Y'all remember Jesus? In that garden? 
when he was crying out to that good, good father. Like, come on, good, good father. Can't you find another way? I need a plan B or C. Hello, somebody. It sounded... I don't mean no harm. It sounds a little fearful, a little doubtful. Just, just to me, just to me. When he's on that cross, did y'all hear the words that were coming out his mouth? My God, my God, where I hast thou forsaken me? Hello? Oh, I didn't mess with you and your Jesus. I am so sorry. But the point is, Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. And so he, he still was good. I, I think he was good. He asked the question. A little doubt might have crept up in there. But at the end of the thing, he was able to say to the same one, he said, where you at? Why you left me down here like this? Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. And the reason many of us haven't done anything is because we're too scared. And we say, well, when the fear goes, then I know I have enough faith to do it. Stop playing. Do it with the fear. Even if you just got a little faith and a lot of fear, do it anyway. I believe that's what Jesus did. I believe that's what Peter did. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do. Do it anyway. Because when you know the God that you serve, a lot of times we know that God is able, but we serve a God who makes us more than able. Hello, somebody. Can't you hear Caleb and Joshua trying to tell everybody we are more than able? Paul said it like this. He said, I know how to be hungry and I know how to be full. He said, I know plenty and poverty. I can do all things. You heard? I can do poverty. Hello. Do you all hear what I'm saying to you? There's nothing that will come your way that you and God can't handle. You are more than able. I know you're afraid, and that's why Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. What things? Slayings, famines, beatings, murders, martyrdoms. He said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. There is nothing that you will face that you can't face. So we no longer have any reason to be fully afraid. We have a God that goes with us. We have a God who teaches our hands to war. We have a God who's packing. We have a God who sent goodness and mercy to stalk us. We have a God who won't forsake us. We have a God who sent his word before us. We have a God who always causes us to triumph. We have a God who began a good work in us and won't stop until it's completed, until the day of Jesus Christ. We have a God, and this God has made us more than able. And 
And so we have nothing to fear for long as the musicians begin to play. We have nothing to fear for long. If you feel fear right now, that's okay. It's just a signal of where the enemy wants to steer you clear of. But I want you to break through that door like Jesus broke through the door of the temples with the whip in his hand. I want you to break through that door like Jesus broke through hell, death, and the grave. We are more than able. Because God is on our side. We might feel that fear, but it's not going to stop us. We may only have a little faith, but it's not going to stop us. We will go forward. We pray that this message has been a blessing to you, so much so that you would be willing to share it as a witness. As always, thank you again for joining us and tune in weekly for more inspirational messages that will prayerfully give you a more intimate relationship with God.